Now, just in case any of you think or you talk to somebody who thinks that the story of Adam and Eve is just a myth or it's just make-believe, and there are those who say they're Christians and they don't believe in the story of Adam and Eve and in the garden and all of this, which is actually very foundational to understanding the gospel message. But Jesus put his stamp of approval on Genesis chapters 1 and 2. Welcome to Under the Fig Tree. Under the Fig Tree is a verse-by-verse study taught by Pastor Jeff Figs of Calvary Chapel of Greeley. We are currently studying through the New Testament book of 1 Corinthians. Here's Pastor Jeff. He says, Now concerning the things of which you wrote to me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife, and let each woman have her own husband. And let the husband render to his wife the affection due her, and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. And verse 5, do not deprive one another except with consent for a time, that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer, and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. But I say this as a concession, not as a commandment. For I wish that all men were as even as I myself. But each one has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. But I say to the unmarried and to the widows, it is good for them if they remain even as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, let them marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. And so we've traveled through the first six chapters of this letter. I want to remind you that Paul is sitting in the city of Ephesus. He's on his third missionary journey. He's writing this letter about five years after he had established the church of Corinth on his second missionary journey that you read about in the book of Acts, chapters uh, 16 and, and through 18. And so as he's there in Ephesus, we have discussed that it was Paul that had written a letter to them initially. We saw in chapter 5, verse 9, Paul talks about an epistle, and of course, that's what an epistle is. It's just simply a letter that he had written to them initially. It was a corrective letter. And then in a response to that, we see after that letter that we do not have, it's not preserved for us in the canon of Scripture like 1 Corinthians is, But after that first letter, he would get a visit, as we saw in chapter 1, from those of Chloe's household, whether it was Chloe herself or members of her family. It seems to indicate there was more than one. But they would come to Paul there in Ephesus, and they would tell him of the affairs of what was going on at the church of Corinth. They would tell him about some of the problems that were occurring. And that's what we've been mainly looking at so far and will continue to look at as we journey through this letter. They had problems, of course, as Paul immediately addressed the problem of division. There was envy, there was strife, there was quarreling, fighting that was going on that would lead to division. They were they're centering around a man and they were depending and looking to man's wisdom, man's eloquence of speech, man's prominence and status, rather than 
looking to God's wisdom. And rather than uh, just coming into humility and, and, and gathering around the Lord Jesus Christ. We know that there was a problem of immorality. We saw that in chapter 5 that there was a tolerance of immorality that was in the church, but also it seemed to indicate to us last week, as we saw at the end of chapter 6, that Paul would say to them, don't you know that your temple, your body is the temple of God, so don't be joining your body to a harlot because you become one and you're joining Christ in that sin with that harlot when you do that act. And so, you see, as we have talked about and we're going to continue to talk about, that the Corinthians, they were coming out of these believers, a lot of them out of idolatry and paganism. In Acts chapter 15 in the Jerusalem Council, when the apostles and the elders and the church leaders got together there in, in Jerusalem, they were trying to decide what are we going to tell these Gentile believers should we tell them that they have to be circumcised? Because that was a big debate there in the early church. Whether they should be circumcised, if that's going to constitute them coming into salvation. And so there was a big debate among the church. You read about how Paul was there in the Galatian churches, in the book of Galatians. He was defending the fact that you're saved by faith alone. So they would come together as Paul and Barnabas and the guys up north in, in Antioch coming to Jerusalem to meet with Peter and James, and they would come to the conclusion that they are saved, those Gentiles, by faith alone in Jesus Christ and not by circumcision. But some instructions were given to the Gentile believers at that time, and it was not instructions concerning that they have to be circumcised or they should keep the Sabbath or any of those things, but the specific instructions was that they should abstain from sexual immorality. And the reason was is because a lot of the Gentiles at this time that were getting saved were coming out of the idolatry and paganism that it was very much accepted in their worship of these false gods to be involved in immorality of some sort. So they needed clarification on that. They needed to understand that you're not to be involved in that at all. You're a Christian. You're a new creation in Christ. And the Lord desires for you to live in holiness and in purity as you walk with him. And so this is all a part of why Paul needed to make sure that they were clear on that. And so there was problems of immorality. There were lawsuits against each other. We're going to continue that they also had problems when it came to the Lord's Supper and with the gifts that we'll see in a future date when we continue through these chapters. But we also know that when Chloe and her household came to see Paul, not only were they telling Paul about the affairs of the church and the problems that were there, but also they came and the Corinthians had written down some questions for Paul the Apostle to answer. So that's why we see here in verse 1 that now concerning the things which you wrote to me. So what we see here in this epistle is they, they had some questions for Paul the Apostle and that's something that we're going to see now in the rest of the book. We're going to see that Paul's going to say, now concerning these things, now concerning these things, now concerning these things. And when you see that, he's answering a question that they had written to him about. And they're really asking about these things, about marriage and, and uh, in this chapter, about divorce, about singleness, all these things that he's asking about. We know in chapters 8, 9, and 10, we're going to see that they had questions concerning eating meat that was offered to idols and about Christian liberty. Can, what can we do? 
what we cannot do as Christians. Chapter 11, we're going to see that Paul's going to answer questions concerning conduct in the church. Chapters 12 through 14, they had questions about spiritual gifts. And chapter 15, concerning the resurrection. And then the last question that Paul will answer them deals with gifts and offerings. So all those things that we're going to look at closely as we continue in the next several weeks. So in chapter 7, as we begin to look at, as we just read, they had questions about marriage and divorce and about being single. So if you're here today and you're thinking, well, 1 Corinthians chapter 7 um, is dealing with marriage and, um, and I'm single or widow or whatever it might be, this chapter really has something for all of us, whatever state that we might find ourselves in. So I hope it, you find it to be a tremendous blessing and help as we go through this. But we read again in verse 1, he writes that as he uh, would say, Now concerning the things which you wrote to me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife, and let each woman have her own husband. We know that when it comes to the subject of marriage, that to God this is a very important subject. This is a very serious subject. And we need to understand that it's important for us to know what God has to say in his word concerning marriage. And why is it important that we understand what God has to say about marriage? The reason is, is because God is the one that instituted the marriage covenant. He's the one that ordained marriage. It wasn't man, but it was God, clear back, in the beginning. And we know clear back in the beginning as he made them male and female that in the book of Genesis chapter 2 when God saw that Adam was alone and in the creation story as God created the heavens and the earth and, and, and Adam in six days he looked at all of it and he said it is good. Matter of fact when he finished creating he said it is all very good. But then Adam's there in the garden and up to that point We know God saying that it is good. He would see that Adam was alone. And for the very first time, then God says it is not good. Adam being alone. And so he would create Eve and and he would bring them together. And in chapter 2 of Genesis, God said, For a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Now just in case any of you think, or you talk to somebody who thinks that the story of Adam and Eve is just a myth or it's just make-believe, and there are those who say they're Christians and they don't believe in the story of Adam and Eve and in the garden and all of this, which is actually very foundational to understanding the gospel message. But Jesus put his stamp of approval on Genesis chapters 1 and 2. And it was in Matthew chapter 19 when the religious leaders, and we're going to talk more about their conversation with Jesus as they came and asked him about marriage and divorce. And it was Jesus that said to those religious leaders, have you not read? And he goes back to Genesis chapter 2, that God made them in the beginning male and female, and that a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And at the end of Genesis chapter 2, it says that Adam dwelt there in the garden with his wife Eve. And so there what we have is the definition of marriage that is given to us. We see that God, clear back in the beginning, ordained 
marriage, he would then at that time give us the, the institution of marriage. The marriage covenant is given to us at that time. And so Jesus puts his stamp of approval on that. He believed in Adam and Eve. He says, yes, it did take place. And we know that Paul the Apostle in Ephesians chapter 5 would also confirm what Jesus said. He would give that definition of marriage when he's talking about marriage in that chapter. So God is the one that ordained marriage. That's why we need to understand what it is that God has to say about marriage because he's the one that brought the marriage covenant to mankind, bringing a man and a wife together. What man does is man comes along and tries to redefine marriage. Man comes along and tries to cheapen the spiritual and moral importance in the marriage relationship. And what happens so oftentimes is man's philosophy in marriage will often so oftentimes contradict what God says about marriage, what God has to say about the definition of marriage, what God has to say about uh, marriage in general, uh, the covenant of the marriage uh, vows in relationship between husband and wife, that man comes along and his philosophy redefines and cheapens what love is to be about, what commitment is to be about, responsibilities and roles that husbands and wives have to each other. So we need to understand what God calls marriage and what he says about marriage, what he says about love, what he says about commitment, what he has to say about all those things that affects the marriage relationship. We know in the last book of the Old Testament, in the book of Malachi, that he calls it marriage his holy institution. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul tells us that marriage between husband and wife is a picture of our relationship with Christ. Because he is our bridegroom, the scripture says, and we're likened to the bride of Christ. And so I don't have to tell you that marriage is a very serious and very important subject to us as Christians. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul will begin to talk and touch on the area in this first part where we talked about the physical sexual relationship in the marriage. And they are obviously confused about this as we see as he writes to them. Now concerning the things that you wrote to me about. And he begins to talk about the physical relations within the marriage. Now why were they confused about it? Well, again, remember as I have told you that the city of Corinth was a very wicked city. It was very much an immoral city. And they were coming out, many of them, of paganism and idolatry. It was very much a part of the people of Corinth and their beliefs and what they were involved in. So it was a sexually oriented society. And people were constantly faced with this temptation. Matter of fact, they were coming out of where it was accepted culturally that you'd be involved in immorality. And so they needed to be reminded of purity. There is to be purity in the state of singleness. There is to be also purity in the marriage relationship. Paul's going to go on and say that it's okay and it's good to have the physical relations, but it's between a husband and a wife. So they needed to have some clear understanding concerning those things. And so also, as we continue going through, they were confused because as some of them were getting saved, we're going to see later, bit, a little bit later, and we'll focus on this next time, is that there is, for example, one of a husband or wife that would get saved, but yet they were still married to somebody perhaps 
who was involved in idolatry and paganism, and they're wondering, should I leave my spouse? Should I divorce them and be single? Should I divorce them? Am I free to remarry? And so they needed to have some clear understanding concerning that. And so what we will see is that in chapter 7, he will say, but, you know, to you, to the married, and then he'll say, but to the rest, and then he'll address those who are single. So he's going to address a number of things so they have clarity in those areas, whatever state that they found themselves to be in, whether a married couple, they're both Christians, whether they're married to an unbeliever in the divorce state, whether they're widow, whether they're single, whatever it might be. And so they needed clear understanding on this. And then also the third reason why I think that there was there was confusion, particularly in this first part that we're going through when it talks about giving to each other in that physical sense and, and the affection that is due to each other, that you recall that as we went over the book of Colossians in Philippians last time, that there was that early doctrine called Gnosticism. In Gnosticism, you recall, that it believed, part of their belief and doctrine stated, that all things that were physical and all things that were material were evil. And so there was two different camps. There were those who, who believed that um, you, know, you should abstain from any kind of material, physical uh, things that would bring any kind of pleasure to you, that you're to stay away from it, or that you should go out and just indulge, just kind of like to eat, drink, and be merry, kind of attitude and just pleased you know your physical uh, desires and fleshly desires and so again it brought confusion to the christians and so in this whole area of the marriage relationship paul begins to address that as we read again in verse one it is good for a man not to touch a woman so right away paul actually puts a stamp of approval on singleness and celibacy and the word to touch here means and is in reference to Again, the physical relations in the marriage uh, relationship. He starts out by saying, first of all, that it is good to be single and celibate. In verse 2, but nevertheless, it is also good to be married as well because of sexual immorality. Let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. So Paul's going to emphasize a little bit later on about uh, singleness in this chapter. There are some benefits to being single, as long as you keep yourself pure, that's what you are to do. But understanding that because of, of sexual immorality that was ever so present in that culture, and it's ever so present in our culture as well, it is appropriate for a husband and wife to give to each other in that sexual sense. Now, I do not think that the apostle is suggesting that Christians go out and find another Christian to marry just to keep from falling into sexual sin. Because he has such a, a much higher view of marriage than that. And as we go through this chapter here, we're not going to see all the principles and truths concerning marriage here in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We will see a lot of them. But as you take the whole of the New Testament, even the whole of the Scripture, 
we know that God has much more to say about marriage. Paul would write much more about the roles of husbands and wives in Ephesians chapter 5 and also in Colossians chapter 3. Peter would write about marriage and husbands and wives in 1 Peter chapter 3. And so in this chapter, Paul's purpose here in what we're reading is the reality of singleness and the temptations of singleness that can be there and that the physical relations are to be uh, enjoyed only between the husband and the wife, and it's okay and appropriate for the husband and wife to enjoy that. In verse 3, let the husband render to his wife the affection due her, and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does, and likewise the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another except with consent for a time that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So the apostle affirms that you are to be affectionate towards one another in the marriage relationship. Render to each other the affection that is due. But I want to give us a secondary application here that I think is important. Because the primary application and interpretation, what Paul is talking about primarily, is the physical relations between a husband and a wife. Give her the affection that is due. But a secondary application is this. That it's more than just the physical act. And husbands and wives, what I pray for those of you who are here, that you would give the affection that is due to your spouse, that husbands that you would be tender-hearted towards your wife and that you would treat her with compassion and you would tell her how much you love her, that both of you towards each other, that you would speak kindly and that you would encourage each other and that you would just, again, be communicating those things, expressing how valuable your marriage is to each other, expressing that love for each other. That is part of the affection that is due to your spouse. And that needs to be a continual thing. I think sometimes married couples, they think the affection is just a physical act. It isn't that. And then the rest of the time, they don't talk. They're not really coming together and communicating. They're not being tender-hearted towards each other, compassionate towards each other, caring and expressing those things to each other. And so that expression is more, as I mentioned to you, than a physical act. God created the physical act to be the expression and the experience of love in the deepest human level for it to be a very beautiful and very powerful bond between husband and wife. And again, the world comes along and cheapens it. Paul says, don't be depriving one another. The physical relations between a husband and wife are God-ordained and commanded. And that a married couple should not withhold from each other unless it is by mutual consent and then for a specific period of time as you give yourselves to prayer and fasting. But then the couple is to come together once again lest they be tempted by Satan. He's the one who tempts us in verse 6. But I say this as a concession, not as a commandment. For I wish that all men were given as I myself. But each one has his own gift from God, one in this manner, another in that. But I say to the unmarried and to the widows, it is good for them if they remain even as I am. So it's interesting. You can think, sometimes people will say, that who is Paul to talk about marriage when he isn't married? He states here very clearly that he is single, 
the thing that we need to understand as he goes through this, that he says that this is a commandment from God. He's inspired by the Holy Spirit to write these things down. So this isn't just Paul's opinions as, as he writes these commandments. Here he's saying that, you know what, this is not a commandment. This is concession. This is something that he is making very clear at this point in the verses 7 and 8. He's saying if you are single, it's good to remain single at that point. But if he's going to go on to say, if not, then be given over to marriage. Now, it is interesting to think, was Paul the apostle ever married? We don't know with certainty because the scriptures are silent on that. But when you think about it historically, and some uh, biblical scholars suggest that it could have been very well or a good possibility that Paul the Apostle was married at one time. Again, we don't know for sure. But the reason that we suggest that perhaps Paul was married at one time in his life is because, first of all, Paul was a rabbi. And it was strongly suggested that rabbis be married, and it was important to them, particularly at that time, that they be married and they would fulfill the commandment that to be fruitful multiply. So to be married and to have children, because God said that. God said to be fruitful and multiply. So that was important to a rabbi's life. But also we know that the scripture shows us very clearly that Paul perhaps was, and and, an indication is, that he was a member of that Jewish Supreme Court called the Sanhedrin Council. And the Sanhedrin Council was made up of 70 members of Pharisees and Sadducees. Thank you for joining us on Under the Fig Tree. If you would like a copy of today's study, please call us and ask for the message with today's date. Our phone number is 970-330-1717. That number again, 970 970- Three three zero one seven one seven. If you prefer, you can write us at 2602 West 27th Street, Greeley, Colorado, 80634. You can also visit us online at ccgreeley.com. Under the Fig Tree is brought to you by Calvary Chapel of Greeley. We invite you to join with us for our Sunday morning services at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. and our Wednesday evening service at 7 p.m. Please join with us next time as we continue to study the Bible together on Under the Fig Tree.